The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Dom. And Father Joseph Sunday, Father. Howdy. Uh, folks, before we get into today's show, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets. So before we get to our main topic, there, there was a little bit of news about um, Apple announcing pre-sale date for or, you know the, the on-sale date for the new Vision Pro. Um, I'm not getting one. I just can't. I can't justify $3,500 for what's essentially early beta. It, this is like the original iPhone for, for what was it, $900 or something? Yeah, I'll wait till it comes down. <laughs> but uh, I was very excited to hear it. Anyway, that's uh, a lot of money. That is a lot of money. Well, and then when you, you you get the thirty five hundred dollars plus tax. You got to get a second battery. You know what I mean? Then you're over four grand. For four grand, I could get like a like a brand new MacBook Pro all decked out. Um, yeah, and uh, they probably sell their own like like lens wipes or something too, don't they? That's oh, it's in, it's included. They've thrown oh, in the, wow. the, the cloth like that. That fifty dollar nice. cloth has been in is uh, included. <laughs> Lanyap. <Yeah>. So <laughs> for four grand, I could buy my first car four yeah. times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could buy my first car. Uh, I could have a fleet of my first car. Let me put it that way. <laughs> uh, so, but uh, our to- our main topic today is we're gonna do some some uh, a little fun. We want to, you know, this is the beginning of a new year, so what's the thing to do is to look back and look at the year behind us. Um, And I wanted to talk about our favorite tech of 2023, uh, the the favorite tech that each of us experienced. Um, It didn't have to be new in 2023, uh, but maybe we either got it new, like for the first time, or it was important to us in some way in the year. So uh, with that, said uh there's some interesting commonalities in our lists and you will see reflect our personalities somewhat um but uh i figure why don't we start with you father joseph what was the tech that was important to you in 2023 i think my first pick is going to shock you it is the steam deck i did I'm trying to remember if my steam deck arrived in 2022 or in 2023 I'm wanting to say it was early 2023 that I finally got it. But regardless, the majority of my playtime on it, as Steam sent me my um, guilty summary uh, at the end of the year, which is very sad to look at some days, which is, what games did you play the most? How many hours did you play? Um, That's kind of like looking at your screen time on your iPhone. You really didn't want to know that? Yeah, right. But then also, what? yeah, what games, but then the device you use the most. And we'll just say that my PC was down to like 25% of my gaming. 
most of it was done on my Steam Deck. Um, so I could see that I had um, utilized it well and did a lot of gaming. As you may remember, I did on our Steam Deck episode fully record a podcast on it. I'm not doing that again. Um, <laughs> it, it worked. It we'll worked. Just say it, just it worked. My, my nerves it were worked. shot by the end, but yeah. It was, it was nerve-wracking. <laughs> so it does work as a computer, but not as easy as I would like it to be. Mm. But so that was my, yeah, Steam Deck. I don't think I'll be dropping the money to upgrade a better display on it or anything. I'll, I may at some point, probably this year or next year, I might actually have the guts to crack it open and um, upgrade my drive in it. The warranty's expired on it. So, you know, now I can have fun. So should I just keep going yeah, down my just, list here? Yeah. yeah. What else? Do you okay. Have? Okay, I um and I did this one as a pick of the week a while back was the Onyx book books Nova Air two, which it is a tablet that is e ink, and so it's if you want to like mix your Kindle and iPad together, that's what this is. Um, it's Android based. Primarily, I get my best use out of this teaching. So. I do. I read from a lot. We read from a lot of books when I'm teaching, and I like to have my highlights and be able to do all that. And it, I also am very easily distracted, um, even while I'm teaching. And so, to keep myself um, on an e-ink device is much better than putting a laptop in front of myself. And because I hold my students to yes the techie priest probably uses the less tech least amount of technology in the school in this classroom um <laughs> i do not use chromebooks or things a lot in my class and so since i don't have my students use them a lot i try to hold myself to a similar standard that i hold them so it's been good to have that for my own text most of these have been picks of the week actually but that <laughs> That's probably fine. is a good thing about yeah. my picks of the week I have the epilogue operator, which um, this was a little thing that you could hook up to your computer and play your Game Boy cartridges and to also legally or supposedly legally have create ROMs of your own cartridge games. And so just a great little $45 device that I continue to use and love and it works well together with the Steam Deck as well. One thing you're overlooking there is that you can actually write games back to blank oh, yes. cartridges. And uh, after you mentioned this as a pick of the week, I picked one of these up. Um, it took a little while to arrive because they had sold through their initial run. But um, I've, I've been working on a Game Boy game that I've been developing using GB Studio. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time developing it recently, but I do have it as a Game Boy ROM file. And I was actually able to write it to a Game Boy writable cartridge and then play it on an original Game Boy hardware. And, uh, you know, the kids had a lot of fun playing, you know, Dad's game on the original uh, Nintendo Game Boy. Hmm. That's really cool. Now, yeah. now, original Nintendo Game Boy or like a pocket? The, the original Game Boy, the Game Boy Advance SP, I think, is the one they're using the most. Um, we also have some Nintendo DSs that have uh, yep. Game Boy slots on them, but we do have the original Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Advanced SP, Advanced Micro. So we're covered in the Game, Game Boy department. So both Victor and I, we'll, you, 
I'll let Victor do his list, but you'll see a commonality yeah. on, on a couple things here. My fourth choice, which I don't know, will your wife be mad that I made you go buy something again <laughs> with this one too? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Okay. It's um, my arcade came out with the GameStation Pro, which is the Atari 200 Games Plus. And so this is officially licensed by Atari, which they've been a lot better these days about embracing their retro yep. and embracing their fans who love Atari for being Atari. And so this comes with 200 games. It doesn't come with the Activision games, which is disappointing. But I actually found this in I was back in Omaha and I stopped into an overstock store that was by the hotel I was staying in. And they happened to have this as an open box. Oh, wow. Um, damaged box for $40, which the retail of it's 99 And so I saw this as a sign from God <laughs> that it needed to be reviewed by me and brought to the Secrets of Technology Did a light podcast. shine from heaven upon it on the <laughs> shelf and angels sing, oh. <laughs> Um There was a light shining from it, but it was RGB. Okay, so, there you go. Um, so I don't think that was God's light, but I did see it as a good opportunity to um, review something. I found out, though, that it has an SD card in it, and you are able to play... ROM files from Atari, Nintendo, Sega. Oh, wow. Game Boy on that same thing. So, and generally the controller I found, a lot of people complain about the controller, but Atari fans are ones to complain very easily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the greatest feature of it that when we were looking at it before we started recording here that Victor noticed was, um, it has the paddles on the controller. Yeah. So back in your early Atari games, you had the paddles that were kind of like a very delicate volume knob. So if you remember playing like Breakout, where you did mm -hmm. the pong. little pong ball to break the... Um, this yep, was the or original game itself. controller. I mean, pong yep. was back and forth. Just a turn yeah, just a potential potentiometer, yeah. yeah. It also gives you software... The switches to change the difficulty levels mm -hmm. and the thing that none of the units before had, which is changing sensitivity levels for the controllers. So you can do all of those things that you're able to do with hardware on the original 2600. Mm -hmm. You can do this. I was debating between getting that 2600 plus that I think Victor brought up a while ago, right? And this one and... Honestly, this satiated my need to get the 2600 plus for a while. So before we move on to, to Victor's uh, picks for, for his favorite tech, like what is what reflecting on this and on the, these lists and, and these things, like what is what is 2023 in tech been for you? I mean, it sounds like it's, you know, you've got a couple of uh, yeah, well, at least one productivity thing in there, but there's some stuff in there that kind of relates to. I don't know, the, the nostalgia, a connection to your past. Uh -huh. So I think a lot of it goes with retro gaming, but also retro to the full. So a lot of 2022 for me 
was getting back into buying and repairing old technology. So 2022 was when I bought my um, Tandy Model 100 and fixed that up. And a lot of that was my old man was a nerd computer programmer for Mutual of Omaha. But it was only later in life that I came to realize like my dad gave up all of the nerdy fun things of all the toys he wanted to have Mm -hmm. to sacrifice to have us in school and to raise four kids. And so some fun things with him was just trying to pick some of these things up and fix them up. And only now am I getting to the point that I've got them fixed up enough that when I get back in town, I'm able to, we're able to sit down and play with some of the old things. So it's kind of um, became some things to spend some time with the the old man while I still can and Mm -hmm. bond over those things. So, um, but then that kind of grew another limb of its own on these um, (laughs) old gaming things. My dad's really not the gamer. So that's kind of my own little. Okay, cool. So Victor, what what was your favorite tech of 2024? Uh, Three, 2023. We'll get to 2024 later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and like Father Joseph, I do have a, a gaming tech on my list, but we'll we'll have a bit of a palate cleanser here and and go into actually some pseudo productive um, technology. So at the beginning of the year, uh, actually the you know prior year twenty twenty two, I started to get into three D printing, and I love three D printing as a hobby. If you have you know kids who are technologically inclined, it's a great hobby to to do with your kids. Um, our our 10-year-old at the time, he's now 11. He's gotten really good at, you know, 3D design. Um, he can make just about anything he can imagine in, in Tinkercad. And then he, uh, you know, sets it up on the printer and he basically, you know, takes the whole thing from from start to finish there. He's gotten, you know, very familiar with the technology. But I wanted a Raspberry Pi to act as a print server for uh, my original Prusa Mark III printer because that would enable me to transfer files you know, wirelessly, wouldn't have to swap out memory cards. But at the beginning of the year, Raspberry Pis were still very, very difficult to come by. Um, I have, you know, extras that I have, you know, as music servers or something, but I didn't want to repurpose one of those. So I started looking at uh, Windows thin client uh, PCs. And these are basically desktop PCs that are the size of a, you know, paperback book, if you will. Um, but have, you know, SSD drives, um, onboard graphics, Windows 10 Pro, um, 8, gigab- 8 gigabytes of RAM usually, which you can upgrade to 16 gigabytes for another 20, 25 bucks. Um, and the cool thing was at the beginning of the year, there were a lot of these that had been leased out to schools right at the start of COVID. So they had never been used. Some of them, you know, never very clearly, these were brand new, but being sold as refurbished. So for around $120 um, each, I picked up a couple of these uh, Lenovo thin client PCs, which are, you know, as, as powerful as a high-end laptop would have been a couple of years ago. And then quickly, I found out that they were actually like, they worked very well as desktop PCs, and I didn't want to use them as as print servers. So uh <laughs> One of them is it's it's the main computer that my wife uses. She does, you know, graphic design and stuff and is able to use that. And the other one uh, uh, gave to my son and he runs, uh, you know, his, his Minecraft and Minecraft server on that. Um, and then I just, you know, grabbed one of my old Raspberry Pis and used that as the print server after all. But 
Um, so yeah, if, if you're looking at, gosh, I need a computer, I need, you know, a desktop PC, I already have a monitor, but I don't want to spend a lot of money, you know, look around, uh, at some of these refurbished, um, thin client PCs that, you know, might've been used in, in offices and stuff, and you can get a pretty good deal there. I use the HP versions of these and they, they're my go-to computer when I need to quickly fill a hole where a computer went down. Um, and so like they work well for an office computer for someone who's doing outlook and even I've even, they're even good enough to run QuickBooks, which takes a little bit of oomph. And so, yeah, I've usually been a Lenovo fan, but most of the stuff we have around is HP. So I tend to stick with the brand that we have around. Yeah, but you know, for I yeah, definitely, I, I, they're excellent replacement PCs. If you have you know kids, and you can reasonably be be certain that you can you know make the PCs safe for their use, um, and you have an old TV because most of these have HDMI you know and Display Port outs. You know, you could for you know around one hundred twenty dollars, you can have a pretty you know good PC for homework and Minecraft at least. And remember what will last them, make them last any even longer is installing Linux on them. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do when they come with Windows 10 Pro, and that's like an operating system that already costs like the price of the computer on its own. <laughs> that's true. That is yeah. true. But, um, and then uh, one fun thing was that this year, Prusa, which is uh, Joseph Prusa, um, basically invented the the modern 3D printer market. Um, it's a bit of an exaggeration to say that, but, you know, he really iterated on the design, the classic design of the, uh, you know, bed slinging where the bed moves around, um, you know, with, with your print on it and, and it builds up. He iterated in that design and uh, created his, his Prusa brand of printers. And he came out with his new design this year, uh, the Prusa Mark IV, which was um, very exciting. It had some, you know, technological upgrades uh, I bought the kit version of that um, this year. It takes about eight to 10 hours to put together. The instructions are very good, but it's, you know, a few metal parts, uh, you know, plastic parts that are 3D printed at his print farm and probably close to, uh, you know, four or 500 little tiny screws. But y- you put this all together and at the end you have this this 3D printer I wouldn't recommend it for everyone unless you're like me and you want something that is open source. You know, the software, the hardware is open source. You can print replacement parts if you need to. You know, the fans and stuff are all stock pretty much. There's, there's you know, a couple parts that are proprietary, but even those you'll probably be able to find on Amazon soon. And you like putting stuff together just to see how it works. I'm confident having put this thing together from scratch that if I needed to replace basically any part on it, which which you do with 3D printers, I'd be able to do that. Um, for someone just getting into the hobby, I wouldn't recommend it. I have no experience <laughs> myself with Bamboo Labs printers, but I know a lot of people who co- are coming into 3D printing now are using Bamboo Labs, and they just released a, a $400 uh, printer, the A1, which is basically the same principle, um, bed slinging. One thing, I, you know, why, it's, why those aren't good for me necessarily is the software is proprietary. It's a, a walled garden uh, for the most part. And um, I wouldn't be confident that, you know, I could replace any part on it if I needed to. But yeah, not for everyone, but it was it was perfect for me because I like spending a couple of days just 
you know, seeing how parts fit together and mm-hmm. saying, oh, that's how that sensor works. And so th- 3D printing is the thing I really want to get into, but I just I can't because I don't have the room for it. And that's that's the, the long and short. Of it. I just don't have a place to put a, something that needs to be stable and undisturbed for long periods of time where noise isn't an issue. And that's just yeah. not my house. Yeah, they, they're getting quieter. But I mean, if you have a dining room table, you have a place to put a 3D printer. You just have to negotiate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is not going to fly in this house. That's for sure. Yeah. I'll yeah. just kick, kick one of your kids out. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing, too, is if it's a kid's hobby, it's like, hey, you have a little room on your desk in your room, don't you? Um, but yeah, no. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a great hobby. Um, like I said, the, the kids love it. I've, I've spent the past week 3D printing Daleks, um, little Dalek models that mm. they've been <laughs> painting and stuff and, and coloring. And um, for Halloween, we made a life-size version of Link's Master Sword complete with scabbard and stuff uh, for our for our uh, one of our sons and stuff. So there's there's a lot of fun projects. Plus, it it's cool because while it's printing, you feel like you're being productive, even though you're not doing anything. <laughs> it's just you're like, I'm making something. But yeah. Um, but then if you're not feeling productive, you can, of course, play video games. And, and you were asking, like, why, you know, gaming's machines were so high on our list. And I, I think for me personally, it was, you know, the, the years of the uh, pandemic 2021 and even 2022 were, were like really like go, 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 mm-hmm. you know serious serious adulting time and 2023 felt kind of like a bit of a you know a breather or, or a you know a intermission year and so one of the things that i love doing as a kid and even as a adult um before all said adulting uh happened was uh playing games um so um 2023 i think was the year that uh you know these these retro game handhelds that are usually made, you know, by companies in China, um, really they hit a couple interesting technological and price price points here. Um, first is one that just came out a couple of months ago called the R thirty six S retro game console. Uh, nobody knows who makes it, but you can order it from AliExpress, um, and it's for around forty dollars, and that comes with you know, ROMs and stuff. And we'll get into to that a little bit, but for $40, it has like an amazing screen is powerful enough to play PlayStation one and dreamcast games. Um, you know, it's, it's a perfect form factor. It's about the size of an original game boy, but you know, has, you know, joysticks and stuff on it. And we've been having a lot of, a lot of fun with those. And for $40, if you, you know, drop it down a well or something, you're not gonna, you know, want to follow it down there or anything. So, um, I can I can recommend that it's a lot of fun and uh, Father Joseph it run, does run a version of Linux. Um, well, yeah, Arc you OS. had me at Linux. Yeah, and if you do want to step up from that, the one that I actually play most now is called the Pow Kitty, and we've talked about Pow Kitty devices on on here before. I know Jack has, um, but the Pow Kitty RGB um, thirty, and so it's around twice the price, so eighty dollars. But the really cool thing is it has a really nice 720 by 720 screen. And you usually don't see screens that are a perfect square aspect ratio, especially at that resolution. And um, so for retro games, like the original Game Boy, Game Boy Color, even the Sega Genesis was at or very close to a one-to-one, you know, perfect square aspect ratio. Um, it is it is really amazing to play 
um, retro games and not have, you know, letter boxes or black bars and just have like basically the screens as tall as the device itself is. And it's just a really fun way to play retro video games. And it, um, and it, it still fits in, you know, a shirt pocket. So I don't have to play with um, Chubby Ash anymore on um, no. Pokemon. <laughs> no, you, you can basically have your 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 exact uh, pixel for pixel. Uh, yeah, um, it's it, it's it's been a lot of a lot of fun. Plus, our, our older son is uh, really into customizing and modding, you know, the firmware on this sort of thing. And so he oh, I, give, yeah. I give it to him and say, hey, set this up for me. And he gives it back and it's it does all sorts of cool things like plays video previews of the games and stuff. Um, but definitely uh, the game I sp- spent the most amount of time with this year and the family did too was uh the legend of zelda tears of the kingdom for nintendo switch um when that came out i mean we we, we've all played breath of the wild which was the prequel to this or the you know uh, immediately preceding this game and we've played all the other legend of zelda games and when this came out you know i figured that i should probably buy a couple of copies because the kids have switches my wife has a switch i have a switch we're probably going to want to share it and it quickly became apparent that like two copies of this game was not going to be enough. <laughs> and so we would sit down and, and all of us would be playing um, Tears of the Kingdom, just kind of sitting around the couches. And uh, it, it's funny because we all had our different way of approaching the game. I was the, you know, explorer, find all the secrets, you know, dig deep into all the caves and explore all the islands. You know, our our son, who's really into, you know, role playing games was like, how do I get the best gear? How do I get the best weapons? How do I, you know, level those up as much as I can? Um, our our son, who's into technology, the one who likes to design and build things, just spent the entire his entire time with the game making crazy cars and e- extremely long bridges and flying <laughs> boats and stuff. And it was just uh, it was just a lot of fun to to do that. I don't want to say how many hours. I spent playing that game, but it, it's, you know, well over a hundred and some hours, but yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's a really, it's a really fun game. And it's, it's one of those where, you know, there's a story, it's a, it's a good story. There's you know stuff you can do, but it's also a sandbox that you can just, you know, kind of have fun with. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that'll lead into my list yeah. of things because uh, you're braving, raving about tears of the kingdom as the best game you've ever played early this year was what led me to finally go out and pick up a switch for, for my house. And, uh, uh so I got the uh, tears of the, the tears of the kingdom special edition, uh, OLED one. So I, I kind of, uh, splurged a little bit on that and I, I didn't get very far in. I had to go. I, I think I'm going to start again. Like I'm going to go back. I got stuck. I couldn't figure out. I got, uh, I was in the islands in the sky portion and I got all the stuff and I can't get back to the place. I can't figure out how to get back to where I need to go. And it's been so long since I've done it. I I just should start again and, and, and you know, figure it out from there. Uh, I've also decided that um, I, I have no problem having the walkthrough open up on my laptop, you know, <laughs> and, you know, so, so that I can get hints to get beyond the stuck parts uh, where, where I am. But nevertheless, you're right. It's a, it is a great game. But the funny thing is, is um, I ended up, having the like getting um Mario Kart and Super Smash Brothers and one of the things I love about that is, is it's a, their co- cooperative play I got a couple of you know bluetooth controllers and to go along with the Joy-Cons and my kids will all sit in here and you know play together cooperatively you know on the big screen 
you know, Mario Kart and or Smash Brothers and they have a blast playing together. And I'm like, this is, you know, I mean, they don't they they don't have a problem generally playing together. But I just love the fact that they have having fun playing this. Um, and then my youngest not my youngest, my my second youngest, he discovered um, Super Mario Brothers. I, I picked up like the original. And yeah. uh, and so he was having fun just like trying to get through a couple levels of that. It, it was kind of funny to watch, uh, to, you know, because he's kind of confounded by how simple, but yet how t- devious it is. So um, so that that's been great. So the the switch and and we also picked up a Steam Deck this year. And that was um, also it's I thought it would be more for me, but the kids have really embraced it uh, because we got the EA Play store with it. Mm. And so they love First, they went through Jedi Fallen Order, uh, all of them, one at a time, uh, <laughs> just the, like several times in a row, because uh, we're, we're all Star Wars crazy. And then they they found Battlefront. That was the other, um, and now they, they play Battlefront all the time when they when they get screen time. Um, so it, it, it's been gratifying watching that. And then for me, it was really the, my opportunity to start playing some of these class A games that I never was able to play before because I don't have a, a gaming PC. I don't have an Xbox or PlayStation. And so this was my opportunity to, to you know, to check out some of these games. And the funny thing is, is I find that some of them are actually available. Some of the ones I enjoy the most are actually the ones I can play on my Mac anyway. But <laughs> nevertheless, um, the, having you know a Steam the Steam Deck is it's fascinating to me because I was afraid that these small screens on the Steam Deck or the Switch would be so too small to to be able to enjoy. Um, but the fact is, they're not. I, they're they're actually larger than my iPhone. You know, I mean that's and I play games on my iPhone or whatever. But um, I can also connect them to my big screen TV, and it works. Um, I, f- I found actually the Steam. Um, there's a there's a Steam Link. I think the app is, and the, the and like, like there's an app that I can put on my Apple TV that can stream this the the Steam Deck to the Apple TV to the t- to my big TV, uh, you know, wirelessly, which was awesome, and I can play that way. There's the lag is great, uh, so that that was. Those two things, and, and frankly, it's what makes it the tech of the year for me is not so much how much I've used it, but how much my kids have enjoyed it, and uh, so it, that that's been really great. Um, I want to do more with the Steam Deck. I, like I, I'm fascinated by the idea of it as a Linux computer, so I want to kind of dig into that a little more and see see what what's there. That may be something I do for 2024. My next couple of picks are not um, conventional you know, what we think of tech, or at least a couple of them. Um, this year, the 2023, I picked, I, I, I got involved in a Kickstarter from Anchor, anchor.com. Anchor is the maker of all of those um, smartphone accessories, batteries, cables, all sorts of stuff. But they have this whole division of um, power stuff. Uh, you know, they so they do smartphone batteries. They started getting to bigger batteries. They, they have this whole new thing with like house backup batteries, you know, emergency gen- uh, emergency p- power batteries. But they had a Kickstarter in last spring uh, for a powered battery-powered cooler, like a cooler you take camping. And I do a lot of camping. I, I go with my family. I go with scouts. And, you know, having a, uh, something where it could, where I didn't have to worry about getting ice and more and more ice and everything getting soggy, uh, but having a battery pack in it that would last a weekend was fascinating to me. So I I went on a limb. I backed the Kickstarter. 
And I can't tell you, it's been great. Even at home, we, we have, you know, we're seven people, but we don't have a garage. So I don't have a room for a second fridge like a lot of people do or, or basement or anything. So we had the one fridge for seven people's worth of food. And I have a stand up freezer, but, but having a little bit of overflow space for refrigeration stuff in the kitchen is fascinating. It has really changed things for us and our family having this cooler that's available that I can just pull out. It's already powered. I don't have to go get ice for it. You know, it, you know, it, the whole, the whole nine yards and it's really been fantastic. And then I can take it with me, you know, camping and, and keep my stuff cool for the weekend. Or if we're going out for the day, I can just throw it in the, in the van and we'll take it with us. And it works fine. Like I don't have to go get ice for it. Like, I mean, that's that I, I keep saying, like, you don't have to go get ice for it. When you, when you spend a lot of time <laughs> camping, acquiring ice for your cooler. So your food doesn't go bad. It takes up a lot of your brain. So, so this, the, the, so the, uh, the there's three sizes of the cooler. There's a 30 liter, 40 liter and a uh, 50 liter. And the 50 liter has two compartments. So you can have a freezer on one side and a, and a fridge on the other. And, and you, you, there's an app for your phone, of course. So you can set the temperature and you can change the temperature as you, as you want. Um, so it, it was pretty, uh, pretty useful to have this this whole year. So it it's really made a big difference for us um in a small way, put it that way, uh, if I can. Um and then something else that's more for my home, uh last summer our AC our air conditioning went out. We have central we had central air in our house and so we have a outside compressor and air handler in the attic and it forces hot air or heat, hot, you know, hot air or cold air depending on the season. Um, to the house we had we have this also connected to an oil furnace well our ac went out the uh, compressor went out last summer and it was old enough that it had the old refrigerant that you can't get uh-huh. anymore um so uh they told me that you, like, you can buy like old stock of the refrigerant and it would be like a thousand dollars or some crazy thing to and it and it would leak out eventually anyway because the system was dying so we ended up having to replace the 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 whole system, and I and I decided to go with a heat pump to replace everything. Um, we still have our oil furnace because it acts as our uh, and the oil furnace for heat is a northeastern thing. I, I, I gather um, most places are either gas or electric, but uh, we still have the oil furnace for water. Uh, or I didn't replace the hot water heater. Uh, it, it was always already heating hot water for us, uh, but it means I don't have to buy as much oil, and it acts as a last resort backup, which did come in handy this past week. I have to tell you about it. Um, but um, they so they they swap out the compressor outside with the new compressor, and it, it can, you know so it it can route heat outside or route the cold outside. You know what I mean? Bring the heat in, um, and then they had to do the attic. But let me tell you, we uh, we also had to get everything reinsulated in the attic. Let me tell you, it's been great. Like the it, it usually I would have to turn the heat on around the mid October. I didn't turn the heat on in my house until late November, and that's just due to the in, the new insulation. Like folks, think about reinsulating yeah. your house because <laughs> it, it it was yep. a huge difference for for us. Uh, but but also just the heat pump. It's quiet. It's effective. Now there are limits to how to how low the outside temperature can be because um, once it gets there, once it gets below a certain point uh, of temperature outside, there isn't much heat for it to drag into your house. I mean, it's just the the, the laws of physics there. Um, 
So, but when it gets to that point, it switches to um, an electric heater element in the air handler. Uh, so it's less efficient, but you'll stay warm enough. Now we had a problem where uh, we had a snowstorm uh, last weekend and the snow melting off the roof. We don't have gutters and they were melting into the compressor outside, oh, fun. which froze it up. And so we're one morning we're out, we're, you know, we're getting up and it's like the air handle is running and running and running and it's getting colder and colder and colder in the house. Uh, I called, I called the, uh, the, you know, the HVAC guy and he came out and said, yeah, you're going to need to, I have to build something over the compressor to keep the runoff from going into it. So that's kind of a, an annoyance, but I, I got to say, I'm ha- I am so happy with this heat pump technology. Um, there was a great series of videos from the technology connections, YouTube channel where he went yep. through all of the, like, you know, how heat pumps work and why they're more efficient, why they're better. And let me tell you, I I'm saving a lot of money on oil this, this winter. Um, it is, it is so great. Do you, this is going to be a really Nebraska question. Mm-hmm. Do you get many days below um, 20 degrees? Um, I'd say we probably get a couple dozen at least like the least through, you know, through the winter, maybe below 20, we get, yeah, probably at least two or three weeks of that. I mean, we had, we've already had a a lot of that um, the last few weeks. Now this, this, there are heat pumps rated to different levels. There are heat pumps rated to five below. Those are much more expensive. Uh, Ours is ours rated, I think to 10 degrees. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, the 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 houses I've been in that have heat pumps, usually about this time of the year in Nebraska, you're done with the heat pump. You go and you switch your thermostat over to emergency, and you give up on the heat pump. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you if if you if you're buying a heat pump, you got to make sure you get the right heat pump for where you live. That's that's a big part of it. Yeah. Because, like, my in-laws are in Texas. They have a heat pump system, mainly for the AC oh, aspects. That's all they need. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, it, their heat pump is not rated down to below 20 or something, which was a problem when they had that big freeze out a couple of years ago, the Texas ice freeze. Um, they actually were having uh, issues. They don't have backup heat to, to go oh, no. to. So that was an yeah. issue. But, um but yeah, you know, when you when you're doing a heat pump, you work with the with the HVAC guy and and let me tell you, go to a bunch of different people. I went to a bunch of different contractors and I got all kinds of different stuff like contradicting each other sorts of things. You can't do that. That's impossible. Oh, that's not allowed. Sure you can. What are you talking about? We'll do that. I mean, it was just <laughs> it, it was all kinds of all over the place. And there was uh, and in my state, Massachusetts, they have huge rebates. Uh, for mm-hmm. heat pump systems, especially if you switch, if you're doing a complete switchover, um, it's not just a supplementary. Uh, if you're not doing it, just a partial, um, if you do a complete switchover, you can get up to ten grand back in a rebate. So uh, they're really pushing people in Massachusetts to switch over. So I got to say that, like the heat pump technology, that was one of my favorite techs of, as you can tell from me raving about it, twenty twenty three. Uh, and the last one I'll just I'll say is that my iPhone 15, I, I really love it. Uh, I got the iPhone 15 Pro Max. Uh, it's no surprise I love it. Um, it's, it's you know, just like every year, it's an iterative upgrade. It's not, you know, groundbreaking, revolutionary. I But I do love the, you know, in the camera, the ability to do that, that, that zoom that, that's got that longer telephoto, you know, optical zoom that 
really makes a difference sometimes. If if there's one thing I can get in a camera that is that would be better, it's always the zoom. Um, you know that that's that's really. And I mean, the night pick the nighttime pictures are great and all that sort of stuff. But getting that longer zoom was really great. So. Um, so that's our, that's been our favorite tech of 2023. I'm sure everybody has different things that they could pick. Um, if we'd love to hear from listeners, what, what are your, what was your favorite tech of 2023? Um, and maybe what's, what's your favorite tech you're looking forward to in 2024? I know for uh, some of our panelists, uh, on, on some of our other shows, the, the uh, vision pro is on there or the, uh, the meta quest three, or some other things like that. So I'd love to hear what folks are uh, are thinking about for their favorite tech of 2023 and what they're looking forward to. So you can let us know. So right now we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Simon, Missy S, Francesca M, Jaden P, and Mike H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give. Make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So we get some headlines we'd like to talk about. And our first headline, uh, we had a story like this uh, on uh, guys who, uh, who investigate scientific studies and try to find fraud in them. This one is sort of related. It's a story from The Hill about how Science is littered with zombie studies, and here's how to stop their spread. <laughs> and so what they point out is that um, studies are often retracted or corrected, scientific studies, after they've been published. New information comes forth, uh, they realize they made a mistake, or what have you. And they, they, say, they say since 1980, more than 40,000 scientific publications have been retracted. But the problem is, there's no way for there's no central way for someone to find out that a study has been retracted, and so there's out there, out still out there, and other researchers are using them and citing them in their own research, and and it makes me wonder like, are, is there too much research? <laughs> are there too many studies? Is there too much of a push to? you know, publish or die sort of thing. What do you guys think of, of all this? I mean, I, I look at this as from an outsider perspective and maybe, you know, the, the scientists and the researchers themselves could, could refute this. But what do you guys think of this zombie studies, but also the, you know, all of these studies? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a real problem. I mean, you, you do see here cases of studies that have been retracted or, or disproven, but they're still cited over and over and over again. Um, there's, there's one that comes to mind, but I won't m mention it here, but it's, it's, yeah. And then they, they keep getting cited in new studies. Those studies get cited. So yeah, I mean, it's, it comes down to due diligence. I mean, if you're writing a paper or an article and going to cite something, I mean, you should be able to see if it's been retracted or, or withdrawn. Um, so I, I definitely think this is a good a good step. Yeah. This, what you're referring to is that uh, there is a uh, organizations working uh, so cross ref and retraction watch to create a database of retracted uh, zombie studies, uh, which would be, which has to be hand curated, uh, but it would yeah. be a central clearinghouse for researchers to go to. And if I AI, mean, oh. Wikipedia was built, right. Yeah. And Wikipedia has been built to, the monster it is today, right? 
that could be applied to the same thing and use technology to solve this problem. Now, I think you wouldn't want to give the same level of, or maybe you would, this is up for debate, the same level of openness to making a thing of scientific studies and notations of retraction to be as open. Do you want it to be more closed that only certain people with certain credentials have access to it or what? But there needs to be something made of a database to be able to... Mm -hmm. um, at least to reference and, it, yeah. Yeah. And the technology's there. Yep. Yeah, I mean, AI is being used to find plagiarism now. It should be able to go through and quickly see if the studies you're citing are have been redacted or the citations have been you know removed or whatever. That um, That's a good point, because Dom yeah. said it has to be done by hand, and I think maybe we're wrong on that. Right. That, that it doesn't have to be done by hand. Could you use AI to build a wiki site um, cross-referencing these and which ones have been contradicted by each other and reading them out or whatever you would do. I mean, the, the, the database that they're talking about in this article is, is of the retracted articles themselves that the researchers or, uh, or others related to the, the, stu the original studies have are retracting them. And it's, it can be a two-year process to retract even when the author is asking for it to be retracted, it can be a two-year process to retract an article. But you're right; it would be it would be nice to see something that goes beyond that to find all of the studies that a zombie study has infected, and 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 you know get the corrections out for those as well. This goes to more global problem though of information retraction, right? How many news articles do mm -hmm. we have out on the internet that? are incorrect information. So oh, yeah. a, a newspaper puts out an article and they put out a correction. How many times was that article reprinted on different sites without that correction? Yeah. I've seen that right? a, and so, a lot. Yeah. And so then, um, and then on top of that, then you have AI not knowing where to pull from the correct things. Right. Which is the correct right? information to, to pull from. Right. Yep. And so there's this whole other level of it that it's not just on studies, it's on news and information. And then um, we can get in that whole dirty word of misinformation, but it's not so much misinformation as it is like too much information. Like, right. do we know what the right information is? Because it's... There's such a plethora of it. We're overloaded with information, it, and this this too the average person can't absorb it. You see this, and you see this even within tightly siloed areas of our society. You know whether it's you know uh, Catholic stuff for like Vatican news, which is a pretty siloed thing. But you see things get dropped out of you know the, about something coming out of Rome and. It spreads throughout the by, throughout the world by the end of like the the morning. You know, the East Coast wakes up, and you know by the time the West Coast is is getting their coffee, it's everywhere. And then you know, later on that day, is like someone's like, "Whoa, whoa, that's not what happened." But but it's too late. It's out. It's on. It's on Twitter. You know, and everybody's now believes it. Yeah, you're right. It, it's the the spread of misinformation, and this is just another example of it. Is key. It is is. Is is a is a crisis really? Um, now, I, what I don't love is, you know, having the the fact checkers 
you know, at the various social media sites in charge of misinformation uh, stuff. But it's something we have to be aware of anyway. It's something we all have to take take uh, responsibility for. Dom, uh, I'm going to have to retract a statement you said. It's not on Twitter. It's on it's X. It's on, on X. X. Yes. <laughs> I know. If you go to Twitter.com, I know you you end up there. So it's, it's still. <laughs> What's the address for X? Twitter.com. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, speaking of uh, studies that may not be worth the paper they're printed on. <laughs> I, I, so the headline in the, uh, the Financial Times, which is a, a prestigious newspaper, uh, is... The the internet use does not appear to harm mental health study finds. And according to this study uh, from the Oxford Internet Institute, they said they found no evidence to support popular ideas that certain groups are more at risk from technology, from, you know, the internet. Um, and they're even dis- you know, disputing some of these more recent studies that talked about how um, teenage girls in particular were negatively affected in uh, mental health for depression, suicidal thoughts, uh, body image uh, from social media. And I don't know. This is one of those cases where I want to wonder who's funding the Oxford Internet Institute. You know what I mean? That's a key. That's a question you always have to ask is. Who paid for the study to get done? Yeah. So, well, what do you guys think of this? I mean, am I being too conspiracy minded? Um, my my holding is I'm sitting looking at this going, um, have the people doing this study met a high schooler lately? <laughs> right. <laughs> because that's the only thing I need to debunk this study is and I'll you know just talk to them about it and they'll tell you that they know it's hurting them what I just want to mention one of the things that they the, the way they state the standards of the the study is they did a broad-based look at the entire world and they say well the yeah. vast majority of the studies published in this area focused on English-speaking countries while more than 90% of young people live outside North America and Europe and so that's going to skew the results. But the fact is, is okay. But in America, North America and Europe, if you focus on that, yes, it is really bad as opposed to when you, brought, you know, take a broader look at the entire world. So I, I'm not sure that you're debunking anything with this study in that case. Uh, Victor, what do you think? Yeah, I the the Financial Times article wasn't super informative. So I did find the um, the entire study is published out there. and. You know, I, I'm not someone who, you know, re- reads studies quickly. It's a very, you know, it's not super long, but um, and can pick things out. But this might be a case where, you know, kind of the signals that we intuitively, you know, w- would recognize might be buried in the aggregate data. Um, but I, I don't know to what extent they, they break out, um, you know, the data that I'm looking at. They lo- They looked at two different sources of data. One was people self-reporting basically their their own state of mental well-being and so that was one part of it the more subjective and then they they looked at um and i haven't dug into what specific they they were looking at but they they uh looked in then looked at various mental health data which i don't know what exactly is available there but it was you know for 200 different countries um looking at uh you know Markers of anxiety, depression, and self harm. Um, 
but I don't know if they tie that to amount of internet usage yeah. per per uh, you know per individual. I, I think it, this might be a case where like you're losing some of it in the in the aggregate you know mm-hmm. in the aggregate yeah. there, but um, I need to to look into a little bit more. So another question of it is, what do I define as bad mental health? Um, and so their measure of bad mental health, um, if I'm measuring that um, bad mental health is something that le- that um, has a side effect of promiscuity and using um, internet pornography and things of that nature, and I'm and I define that as negative, is this study defining that as negative, right? Sure. Because if it's not then what I'm viewing as the internet having harm to mental health is not what they're viewing on harm to mental health. And so, you know, the thing that I see the greatest effect on, especially young men right now, but not not casting young girls aside, because I know there's a problem with it, but is the plethora of explicit content out there and the way it's broken down um, mm-hmm. society and that is a mental health problem yeah it's a, does this it's a study a admit that as, yeah yeah does this study admit that as a mental health problem and i would um have to know who's funding the study but i'd be willing to say no <laughs> yeah and it doesn't look like they analyze like how much internet usage you know whether they tied you know hours per day to negative mm-hmm. mental health outcomes it just seemed to be you know number you know percentage of of households that have internet in a country you know it looks like so you you know okay great you know there may be some kids who are using it 30 minutes a day because that's all the data you know plan they can afford there may be somewhere they're you know on it 16 hours a day you know but you're not weighting that against the negative outcomes and they they admit that they don't have access to enough data to to say, you know, if apps do harm mental health, only the companies that build them have the user data that could prove it. He says so. <laughs> so I mean, he's kind of they they kind of giving away the game right there. Is they like it, it's sort of it, it's it's like I said, it's very broad based. It's a very broad generalized look at this, uh, but I don't think I think it's so broad and generalized as to not be useful in you know. In that case, unless you drill down and that's what you got to do. Do the self-driving features of our cars cause accidents? Well, we're not going to give you access to the metadata of the self-driving cars so they don't cause accidents. <laughs> right, I right. mean, that's kind of it's the same argument. It's the like, well, we don't have the data, so therefore it's not happening. Mm. Um, yeah. So um, last headline I want to get to before before we get to our picks of the week is an interesting one. Uh, it's a it's, it's sort of technology related because it has to do with online tech. Uh, uh, the, the story from The Washington Post, a rural post office was told to prioritize Amazon packages. Chaos ensued. So the the framed narrative here in this story is about the post office in Bemidji, Minnesota, uh, which is a very small uh, town up in up in uh, Minnesota, uh, where. People are not getting their mail. They're very important, you know, checks and invoices and all this sort of stuff because the postal carriers are being overwhelmed with packages. What's happened is the U.S. Postal Service, in order to uh, stop losing money, has been contracting with 
companies like Amazon, UPS, FedEx to do last mile delivery, especially in areas outside of the big cities, uh, you know, where they don't have, don't have to have, you know, UPS doesn't have to have a big distribution center. Uh, There's a post office in every town, you know, and so they're doing all of that. But what's happening is, is that more and more people buying more and more online there's the more and more packages going through these these small post offices and there's the post office is simultaneously having a shortage of personnel to deliver stuff and they're getting overwhelmed uh of course the postmaster general says it's it's all you know uh, uh it's just it's isolated instances and has to do with some supply you know whatever the the excuses that the politicians come up with what do you all think of this uh is this a real problem? I mean, should we should we be making Amazon instead of more distribution centers and not use the postal service? What do you think? I don't know if we've been um, for a while, and I don't know what happened with this Amazon. It was shown that Amazon was getting discounted rates and things. I don't know whatever happened with that. Um, so are they paying the same price as everyone else? Uh, um, they have a contract that they did. They, they got with the postal service, but there's the details of it are not the The, the uh, postal service says that's a, it's a, uh, uh, what are they called? <laughs> Private business transaction. Because no, of course, of, no, of FOIA, course no, it's FOIA a public company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a public company, but whatever. Well, <laughs> the postal service exists in a, in that strange public private, gray area where some of the stuff they do is you know private i don't know it's it's kind of fishy to me but it's the way that they the congress has organized the postal service uh, yeah so. they're, they're they're a private company that can afford to lose 6.5 billion dollars a year because the taxpayers will not have to restructure yeah, yeah pay, we'll so, pick it up yeah so this is kind of a joke but it's a serious comment it's something that congress needs to fix Right. <laughs> Slide whistle sound effect. Yeah. Yeah. Which like that's a serious comment, but it's kind of a joke, too. It's yeah. not going to get fixed. Right. Well, it's it's a political hot potato. Yeah. Nobody wants yeah. to nobody wants to wait, wait into that one. Yeah. Well, they signed the contract. I mean, and, and who's to say someone's Amazon package isn't as important as somebody's, you know, flower catalog you know seed catalog <laughs> right well it's like one person was saying oh you know my husband's mail your medicine comes in the mail and that what if that gets delayed well i use amazon pharmacy what if my medicine doesn't come to me from amazon pharmacy i mean it's just yeah. you know packages are packages in, in in some instances and you know there's there's fr- this frivolous and important stuff coming in both from both places you know through you know whether it's first class mail or my Amazon package or whatever. So yeah, to hit it out of from a rural area, they used to say two to three day delivery. Now it's two to three days from when we ship it. Right. And they have corrected that. Um, And so I have less and less ordered stuff off of Amazon. Actually probably have more moved towards buying stuff more in town because of the slowness mm-hmm. of Amazon getting to the rural areas. And so my hope is that we can help out our local businesses a little better. Mm-hmm. I like to keep them open. I would rather, I find it worth going and spending the extra um, dollar or two to buy it at my local everything store than to, and to keep him in business than to, um, 
wait four days for Amazon to get it to me. So plug in there to um, support small local businesses. Well, and, you know, even here in the metro Boston area where there's a Amazon warehouse every three towns, um, I find it sometimes I order something and I don't know when it's like they don't know. They can't tell me when I'm going to get it because they're going to be sending it to the to the uh, the U.S. mail. And it's it's really kind of uh, frustrating. And, but I tell you, one thing I, I do like about them sending things to the U.S. mail is I know my mail carrier. That's the same person comes to my house every day, and I know her by name. And like, if I'm going on vacation, hey Tammy, I'm going to be away next week. Uh, I did put in a mail stop, but can you make sure that, that uh, my mail is held until I give yep. it? Sure. Like, these are your neighbors. These are people. Like, whereas Amazon drivers, it's a different guy every time. You know, who comes to my house, who throws the package in the direction of my front door. You know what I mean? And takes a picture of the sky to prove that the thing was delivered. You know, it's just like, it's a different relationship yep. with your mail carrier. Oh, and I gotta say, my, our UPS guy too. I, I, I don't know him by yep. name, but I know him. He and I know each other by sight. That's the thing that UPS and USPS have going for them is the regularity of drivers. And so there's um, a relationship that's built. Mm-hmm. And then you hear people with the fed up thing with FedEx, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And then your Amazon drivers, those two, it seems the drivers change a lot. Right. Um, they don't get the so same route every day. Yeah. Yep. Well, and Amazon is largely independent contractors too. Right. You know, yep. who, are, who are doing it. Yeah. Yep. So uh, that's, yeah. So um, I, I'm not sure what the, the solution there is. I mean, more USPS, less USPS, maybe hire more postal carriers. I don't know. But um, I knew when I, it, it's, it's interesting to me that they're, they're taking these steps to try to uh, re- keep the postal service in business. You know, there was a, not too long ago when we all assumed no one would ever send first class mail anymore. There would all be email and et cetera. And that has not proven to be the case. So it's interesting, interesting to see. So those are our headlines. Uh, Let's move on to our picks of the week. Father Joseph, well, you're up first. Okay. My pick of the week is a GitHub site. Um, It is Mike Royal's Windows 11 slash Windows 10 guide. Um, And this thing is basically every bit of information you need to know about setting up Windows. Um, And yes, I get the irony that one of your Linux guys is sharing a Windows site, but um, I set up lots of Windows computers. So, but this is just, um, it is a 33 part guide, which uh, we all know 33 is the perfect age and the (laughs) perfect number. So it is the perfection of Windows guides. If it, if the numbers (laughs) meet there, Um, but you know, (laughs) it could have been 42. That would have been even better, but Um, that would have had the answer to everything on it. Maybe he's not admitting to have the the answer to everything. Um, but yeah, it goes everything from setting up, um, your computer to file transfer to networking, to your gaming, to emulation, to, yeah, I can't list everything. Mm -hmm. It is everything you can think of. Comprehensive. Yeah. I'm looking at this and it's like, like it is wow. Like if 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 it's not in here, it's probably not Windows related. It's pretty pretty extensive. This it covers everything. Um, so this has been yeah. This is kind of one of my go tos if I get stuck on something, um, or if I'm just bored and I want to um, 
mod up my Windows PC a little more, I can find some other fun things to do on here. So <laughs> it's an excellent resource, and I think it would be a great idea to to check it out. Um, for if you if it's funny, I sometimes we I sometimes get a criticism that this is a like an all Apple show. And and I, it's funny to me because there's more Linux guys on this show than there are Apple people, <laughs> frankly. Um, and there's also got a, a number of Windows folks. So uh, I'm thank you for for including that in in the uh, in the picks of the week. That is a great resource. I think I think their reasoning is that every show has the Apple user on it. Well, that's true. I'm just maybe here. maybe that might be part I'm of it. I'm here waving the flag in the corner. Uh, so. <laughs> Victor, how about you? What What is your pick this week? Yeah, not to stay on the, the video game tr- uh, track again, but I did. Uh, one of my Christmas presents was a another handheld game system. But this is for people who don't want to order from AliExpress, um, don't want to mess around with ROM files. This is actually a completely self-contained, like pocket sized. It's very thin, very light um, game system that comes preloaded with 18 Taito uh, arcade games from the classic age of so like Bubble Bobble, Space Invaders, um, and and many others that you can just turn on and play. But the real draw for me was, um, it's, as I've mentioned on my pick of the week a couple times, is I'm collecting uh, Evercade cartridges, and Evercade is a um, company or, or or a format where they'll release twenty dollar cartridges, a couple of them every month that have a curated uh, collection of games, usually indie games, some, you know, classic PC games on, on data cartridges, just like old, you know, Game Boys used to use. And so um, for $60, you get this handheld that's, you know, I think just the perfect size plays Taito games. There's also a, a Capcom edition as well, but you can um, plug Evercade cartridges into it as, as well. So mm. if that's something you think you might want to, and it's, you know, you don't have to mess around with, with ROM files, you know, if, if the legality of that concerns you or, you know, where do you, where do you find ROM files? It's, you know, completely legal. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun. You can just turn it on, play it, turn it off, you know, chuck it in your pocket. Excellent. Very nice. Um, so my pick this week is some Mac software. So there you go. Um, <laughs> it's and in fact, it's Mac software for us old guys. Uh, what is, so when uh, the Apple Silicon Macs came out a few years ago, uh, they run. We have this. They have the same basic CPU as are an iPhone or an iPad, and so you could run iPhone and iPad apps on your Mac, which is really useful sometimes. Uh, except. Sometimes because they were designed for smaller devices, the type is really tiny and a little bit hard to read, especially if you have, if you set your, your monitor to a pretty high resolution like I do. Uh, so this one, this it's, a, it's on GitHub. It's a uh, app called Pixel Perfect, and it does the one thing. It increases the text size on iPhone and iPad apps that you're running on your Mac. That's it. That's all it does, uh, unless you increase the text size so you can read it. Um, and you know what? It does a really good job of it. it. It works. It gets out of the way. I don't even notice it after, you know, once I've run it, I, it's just, it's just there. Um, and it works and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a uh, it's a nice little app that lets, lets us old guys read the text on the screen. 
I'm proud of you that it's from GitHub and not from your um, normal <laughs> well, repository. Yes, it's not. It's not in uh, setup. It is a. It is a. I, not all my software comes from setup. But let me just put it that way. Um, but, you know, it, it, this guy's making it available for. Uh, I think it's for free. Um, I forget if I paid for it or not. If it's on GitHub, it's free. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's shareware or, or anything. I think it's. Uh, you, you know. Uh, or even ask it's for it's open it's open source yep oh, okay yeah so um yeah so it's a, it's a nice little free app to, to make life a little easier so and that is uh those are all of our picks of the week and everything we have to do for this week so i want to take the moment now to ask folks what did you think of anything you had we had to say in our discussion we'd love to get your feedback and you can send us your feedback at sqpn.com/technology or the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Send an email to technology at sqpn.com. Visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And you can find links from our discussion and picks of the week on our show notes at starquest.fm slash tec240, tech240. Follow the Secrets of Tech in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or on the on YouTube at our YouTube channel, where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. And until next time, Father Joseph Sun, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. You're welcome. Victor Lambs, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. Quest.